Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. It's on page 8 of your booklets, if you want to read along. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, disip they disciplined us for a little while, what, what, sorry. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
It is wonderful to be here for confirmation today and it's been a privilege to hear each and every one of those stories of how God is at work in your lives and what's led you today to being prepared to stand and publicly declare, I turn to Christ. Uh, For Celeste and Claudette, confirming, saying yes to the promises made at your baptism on your behalf and for Elle, Benjamin and Steve, making those promises themselves as they did at their baptism, but now before me as bishop, representing the wider church. Since we've been hearing about testimonies, I'm actually someone who was confirmed uh, in early high school, so similar age to some of you. Uh, Not surprising given I'm someone who's actually always known about God, so quite different to, to some of you. I grew up in you know Christian family, which I'm sure uh, uh, Celeste and Claudie would relate to. Uh, but my father, who died when I was six, was a Methodist minister. So I'm loving hearing all these connections to the Methodist church. But he died. <laughs> so my mother was actually the particularly strong model for me when it came to faith. And I was always inspired by her, by the way she was prepared to... Uh, include and speak up for the vulnerable, for example. It's not that she went looking for causes, but she was simply there when people needed her. I also found it inspiring, and I think if I'm honest, at times uncomfortably challenging, how being a Christian absolutely shaped her choices in life, quite radically at times, say with finances and material things. There were times when I felt like I was missing out, you know. Uh, So she brought up five kids aged from 5 to 11 when Dad died. Um, She always made sure we got to church every week. Uh, My grandmother, who was also like a second parent, she had this thing that, you know, Mum really wasn't that concerned whether we got to school. Uh, But church was a different matter. And as Mum put it, uh, you know, school didn't really affect her. But church, that would actually stop her from getting to church. Uh, so, so mum really taught me the importance of Christians gathering together every week to worship God by osmosis, really, because it was so important to her. A focus, a centre for the week. So I knew about God. I knew about Jesus. In fact, I think I'm someone who can safely say I've never really doubted God's existence. Some people do, as we've heard, and if that's you today, then I just want to say for now that the leap of faith you've taken that God doesn't exist to believe that is as big as the leap of faith I've taken to believe God does, as well as the five other people being confirmed. And if you want to talk to anyone later about that, the person you've come along to see confirmed or Peter, please do. The question more for me was, was I going to let God make a difference in my life and you know from the little I've said you can see I had a very strong model that believing was going to make a difference in your life and actually like uh, Elle I went to a camp (laughs) but for me it wasn't cold turkey at all Uh, so but I went as a country child so I grew up in the country too but in a much bigger town than it sounds like what you grew up in I went to this country children's camp at Bundina which is like this beach place in Sydney for those of you who don't know that and there was this particular night when the leaders invited me and everyone else there to follow Jesus. They were preaching on uh, John 3, 16, a uh, particular verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish.
perish but have eternal life. And I can remember saying to God all through that particular talk, it was actually quite an argument that I was having, can't I just accept you exist and leave you over there and me get on with my life? What was stopping me from committing myself was thinking, if I became a Christian, this is like an 11-year-old's cost of discipleship, I would have to do things I wouldn't otherwise have to do. As simple as that. If I became a Christian, I'd have to do things I wouldn't otherwise have to do. Well, there are things I wouldn't otherwise have done, uh, like standing here today as a bishop and all that that entails. (laughs) But what I realised that night is that I couldn't just say God existed and leave it at that. Couldn't just count on my parents' faith, which I think is what Celeste and Claudie were saying as well. Why am I a Christian? Because Jesus died for me, because that night I felt Jesus calling me to follow him. I can still remember the peace that I felt within my heart after all that arguing. So when it came to being confirmed for me, I wasn't just doing it because it was the thing to do, even though I grew up in the church. I was publicly declaring the commitment that I had made to turn to Christ. And that was a key moment on the journey for me. What is actually really more interesting, I think, is why I'm still a Christian over 40 years later, but that's a whole other talk, which I have written and given, but that's a whole other talk. What I wanted to do today is just very quickly answer that question from our passage today from Hebrews. See, the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging us to think of the Christian life, the Christian journey, as a long-distance race. That's the image he wants to have us in our minds. Some of you may not live that long. But for some of us, like me, over 40 years later, I'm still running that race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, all those listed in the scriptures of the previous chapter, if you're reading Hebrews, all those people that Benjamin was reading about thinking, isn't all this interesting? They are there at the finishing line, all these people, the ones that aren't named, my mum and dad and others who are significant for me, whoever it is for you, they're there at the finishing line cheering us on to finish the course well or even more accurately in the context of these chapters of he- uh, this chapter of Hebrews, to look at them and be inspired in how to run the race well. And the writer of the Hebrews suggests three things in particular using that image of the athlete. Get rid of anything that gets in the way, slows you down. Patience, which we heard from Celeste today. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So firstly, throwing off anything that gets in the way. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So getting rid of any heavy weights that slow us down. You know, think of runners with their aerodynamic running suits and swimmers or cyclists shaving their bodies, even those bits of hair that can be a problem. It's seeking to be free of anxieties from about trivial concerns. Some of the anxiety that maybe Celeste spoke of. You might have your own. Resentments of other people, addictions, secret or otherwise. We'll say for those of us in leadership, I mean, think of that very telling reading, our gospel reading earlier in the service, ambitions to use the gospel to promote ourselves. 
turning to Christ, away from repenting of our sins, selfish living and all that's false and unjust. It's a daily exercise. Helped by prayer, repentance, the weekly confession is a guide, and other people, friends, a spiritual companion, counselling when needed. Sometimes it's simply having the courage to stop, to be still and to look at your life in the light of Christ. Secondly, patience. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. A long haul, not a short sprint. It's about running the race that lies before us and running it patiently. Today you heard me praying, it's there in the order of service, for the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who will enable this. And I prayed in particular for the sevenfold gifts of the Spirit. To pray and not give up for grace, wisdom and understanding, discernment and inner strength, knowledge and true godliness. They're the gifts, each and every one of them, that will enable patience, that will enable each of you to run with perseverance, growing and maturing in your faith and what it means for you to live as a Christian, live out God's call on your life, wherever it is that that takes you, whatever it is that you'll be doing and being, and most importantly at all, of all, that is what will enable you to love our neighbours as ourselves, as God has loved us. Love the fact that Claudia picked that out. I'm not going to talk about verses 4 to 11 at great length. I know you'll be relieved at this time of the morning. But basically, those verses really describe that growing and maturing happens in terms of God's discipline. You may not want to hear this. Particularly, your parents will not want to hear this for Claudie and for... Um, Celeste, but life as a Christian, was that already know, is not necessarily easy. In fact, it's often when life is at its most challenging that you grow the most. Whether that is about God helping you get rid of the big baggage, setting boundaries, so to speak. I'm sure Steve is just learning about those setting the boundaries. Or in God's strength, confront make a difference in difficult situations. Using the gifts God has given you and I or never thought we had in ways that will surprise you and in ways that will keep on stretching you. So getting rid of what weighs us down, sin that gets in the way, patience, and thirdly and most importantly, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Keeping your eyes or at least your imagination when you're too far away to see, fixed on the finishing line, on the one who, has, who is at the centre of the cloud of witnesses, Jesus. Jesus, whose coming we look for at any moment as this season of Advent as we prepare for Christmas reminds us. Look ahead. Look to Jesus He's been there before us. Run the race. In fact, he
he pioneered the way. The writer to the Hebrews is throughout the letter is emphasising Jesus. Just uses the name Jesus, doesn't go into all the other things, Jesus the Messiah, yada, yada, yada. Just says Jesus, the human being, carving out the path for faith, bringing it to successful completion, getting over that finishing line. I mean, think of what exactly Jesus went through on his own patient journey, what his race looked like. We've had it easy by comparison. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus kept his eye on the joy that was waiting for him, the joy of doing his Father's will, of bringing his saving purposes to fulfilment. And he put up with the torture of crucifixion, humiliating, excruciating, agonising. Now, in a key position of honour at God's right hand. And as the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you you will not grow weary and lose heart. I've spoken before when I came about our diocesan vision, the challenge of making the word of God known, fully known. It's in changing times we have that vision and there's four strategic directions here that we've committed to, to make that a reality. And I want to particularly just pause for a moment and I want to just acknowledge that Peter has this role of leading you as Mary Creek uh, Authorised Congregation. I also just want to take a moment to acknowledge the work that Peter does in both as area dean, he has this unfailing ability in every induction service to find some connection to the person he's been inducted to and it's great having someone who's been around so long in Melbourne. And I also want to acknowledge too the work that you do with Bishop Kate. I know she appreciates it in terms of that whole uh, group around uh, church planting and so on. And th- those two different things I just talked about are reflected in this strategic plan. It's actually one of the hardest times, to, I think, to be clergy. And so the role of area dean is not insignificant as well as the role in church planting. And... As well, we face particular challenges at the same time. Ministry presence in both areas of urban renewal. Uh, This congregation is an example of meeting that challenge. And in the growth corridors, and I acknowledge the work that Peter is doing in that space, it's in the midst of owning the consequences of failing children in our care and preventing such failure happening again. I've just said to you, all key messages over successive years from our Archbishop at Synod. This year, he spoke of the importance of culture, the culture we need for our times. As the Archbishop said in his charge, Jesus and his disciples looked at their culture with confronting clarity, as did his forerunner, John the Baptist, as we heard in our Gospel. Reality was the launching pad for the insight they showed in announcing God's reign in the world of human affairs. And it's a clarity which speaks to our culture today. As Benjamin was saying, it makes more sense now. The Archbishop spoke of longing for a culture that is resilient, 
because it's founded on the completely reliable character of God and the divine revelation to us of, in the incarnation, ministry, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. This is the faith that has inspired the martyrs of the church since the days of Jesus himself. This is the faith that will inspire you as a parish to be a compelling and outward-looking presence in our communities, reaching across boundaries of human division and, and uh, as you're to preserve our communities and proclaim Christ, and as you're open to the Holy Spirit transforming lives to be maturing Christ, using all that God has gifted you with. Your gifts... We're very blessed in this diocese with gifted people and all that God has given you, finances and so on. In other places, I'd be saying the buildings and so on. As together, we make the word of God fully known. See, that's where actually the, the analogy falls down because we're not competing against each other. We're all in this together, in this race together. And this is the faith that will inspire all of you confirmed today to run the race with your eyes fixed on Jesus as Elle brought out it's not just about what we feel it's actually reflecting on what we feel thinking about what we feel in light of Jesus patiently and getting rid of anything that weighs us down that gets in the way this is the faith that will enable you to be sane while you're still a Christian in over 40 years' time. And that's true for you even if you're in your 30s.